Proverbs chapter 31 is where we'll be this morning. <clears throat> Our theme for the morning has been uh, faithfulness. And you may ask yourself the question, you know, what is faithfulness? Well, it means steadfastness, firmness, you know, having resolve, fidelity. It's the opposite of being wishy-washy or ever-changing or um, not solid. The psalmist says, your word, Lord, is eternal. It is settled in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. <clears throat> the faithfulness of God <clears throat> is expressed through God's word. If God said something 2,000 years ago, it still stands. It's still true. If God said something 3,000 years ago, it still is true. Because God is faithful to his word, and his word is an expression of his character. <clears throat> God himself does not change, you see. So if God, is wise, if God has always been wise, and God imparts wisdom to any generation, the generation that asks God for that wisdom receives it. Let me try to illustrate 4,000 years ago, God spoke to Abraham. I'm sorry. Yeah. 4,000 years ago, God spoke to Abraham and said, I will make you into a great nation. If you follow me, if you leave behind your people and go to the land, I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. And today, 4,000 years later, there is Israel. 3,000 years ago, God spoke to Solomon, giving to him wisdom. 2,000 years ago, God spoke to Jesus. God spoke through Jesus and said, I will build my church, and the church is still here. So what I'm trying to say to you is this, <clears throat> that the wisdom of God is from generation to generation, but not every generation has received this wisdom, but the ones who have become wise. So let me begin with a fairly large elephant in the room. I'd like to speak about woman, womanhood. I mean, what could possibly go wrong, right, with me being a man, speaking about womanhood, never being a woman, about being the purpose of a woman. This text I'm about to speak to you about is often spoken at Mother's Day because it's a portrait of biblical wisdom. It's what every woman should aspire to. It's what every man should look for in the life of a woman and help to cultivate. So I think there's qualities in this text that have to speak to men and to women. So a couple caveats as we go in. One is that as you hear this text, one tendency is to be sort of autonomous and independent, sort of like I can get it done on my own, right? The other, I'm speaking to you guys now, is to sort of become passive and sort of be like the guy that sits at the gates waiting for her to do all the work. So there's a, a couple of uh, things I wanted to say to, be, to begin with as we open this up, but I thought it might make more sense to you that if you understand the biblical framework for marriage. So now we come to our notes. <clears throat> the Bible would teach us something known as biblical complementarianism. It might not help you to understand the relationship between a man and a woman. Marriage, according to Proverbs, is a covenant between a man and a woman. Remember that Jesus laid down his life. He's the head of the church. And so the man is also called to love his wife like Jesus loved the church and to lay down his life. And God puts him in the position of being the head. The role of the man in the relationship is to be the head. And headship is the unique role that God has given to the man 
in the context of the marriage covenant for human flourishing. Now, I don't apologize for saying that, and I don't back down from saying that, because sociologically, economically, no one can argue that the home is a better place if men are there. No one can argue that home would be a better place if men weren't there. No one can say that sons are better off if they don't have a father. No one can say that daughters are better off if dad isn't around. You see, when we refuse to be men, to be the head, things begin to crumble. Things turn to dust. And I believe the primary role of the father is to provide. Broken marriages, absentee dads, fatherless children are killing us. But I must say to all of you single moms, where the ideal is lacking, that God's grace does abound. Don't lose heart because God hears the prayers of the single moms and the widows. And to you single moms who got married to a guy who looked like a man but really wasn't a man, God will enter that space and be gracious to you. So how does a man live out his headship? You see, true men are givers, and boys are takers. Godly men sacrifice for the good of others. Boys are interested in getting something. Real men are about giving something. Men provide an example to us of unselfishness. Men set up a spiritual climate, an atmosphere, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, there's no place in biblical Christianity for lazy men. God has not equipped us to be idle, to be lazy. God has called us to action. So in the very beginning, God put the man into the garden, right? There were no animals. I'm sorry, there were animals, but there was no wife. There was just work in the garden to take care of. And he had dominion over the earth. But God said there was something not good. And what was not good? It was not good for the man to be alone, right? So he put the man into a deep, deep sleep, and he took from his ribs, took from his, one of his ribs, and he fashioned his wife. God took that rib, and he made the woman to, in a place of closeness and intimacy for a relationship. You see, man was lonely, and God created for him his woman. And he said... When he did this, the purpose of doing this was a woman was to be man's helper. I will make a helper suitable to him. Now, there's a great debate today about whether women are inferior to men or subordinate to men. But it's interesting to me that the word helper is a word that is used of God, of him providing help to us. In Exodus 18, it says, Moses says, the Lord has been my helper my Eliezer. In Deuteronomy it says, O God, be our help against our foes. And the psalmist says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. You see, God gives dignity and worth and significance to the woman insofar as they are now a team, right? They are put together to complement one another, the man and woman. The man to be the head exercised through sacrificial service, the wife to be the helper, exercised through willing to help her man. Okay. So that's a little bit of background. 
So let's say this morning that you're single and you ask the question, what does it mean to be a helper if you are single? Well, it doesn't mean you sit around and you wait for a husband. The Old Testament blessing was children. The New Testament blessing is making disciples. So don't sit around twiddling your thumbs waiting for a man. Why would God want you to wait for a guy to invite you to a movie when he's already invited you into an epic story that you're part of? You may have a desire that someday I'd like to be married, but right now I'm learning how to be a disciple and how to make other disciples. But you say, Pastor R, if I get strong like that, I may intimidate some guy. Well, God's in the business of forming somebody who will be suited to you also. So, all my caveats are gone. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 31. You say, what could go wrong on a sermon about womanhood? Well, Debbie has the car running, so here we go. <laughs> we're, we're, we're leaving shortly, so <laughs> this doesn't go well, you know. I have actually eight different qualities that I'd like to um, work through, and I think they might be helpful. It begins in Proverbs 31, verse 10. It says, A wife of noble character who can find. Now, the implication of this is that she's rare, that you're going to have to search for her, that God has to make a woman like this, an excellent wife, a wife of excellence, a virtuous wife. Who can find such a one? This word excellent is a word that means a woman of strength. Strength was used of Israel's judges. They were able and well qualified for their position. See, the only reason <clears throat> that Proverbs 31 got written in the Bible is, if you read in the first part of 31, the king's mother gave this to him. You know, women have one chapter in the whole Bible that's specifically dedicated to them. Now, men need the whole rest of the Bible for them. So women get one chapter, because they are maybe quicker learners, and the men need the rest of the Bible to, in order to understand. But you see, there are, little joke, there, there are a number of noble women throughout Scripture. Moses had a noble mother. Her name was Jochebed. And she took a huge risk to save the life of her son and put him in a little basket covered with tar. And remember, Pharaoh's daughter rescued Moses from the river. And then she was looking for someone to nurse. And so she found the mother, Jochebed, who became the nurse to baby Moses. And then the, the midwives that you know, preserved his life when Pharaoh gave the order for him to be taken. The scripture is full of women that are noble. When Moses was older, he had a wife whose name was Zipporah, who saved his life when God was going to kill him for not circumcising his son. And then there was David, and David met a noble woman. Her name was Abigail. Remember, David was about to do something really dumb. He was going to take vengeance on his enemies. And Abigail came and headed him off at the pass. And then there was Esther, a noble woman, a queen, who asked her people to pray and fast as she went before the king, and she saved the nation from its holocaust. And then there was Ruth, a noble woman, in fact, Boaz would say of her that you are a woman of excellence. And she refused to go back to Moab and gleaned in the fields of Boaz and entered into the life and line of Messiah. So Proverbs 31 tells us about 
an excellent wife. When you find a wife like this, you don't want to let go of her, right? Many man has found a pretty woman, but she's not a virtuous woman. And many a man has found a wealthy woman, but she's not an excellent woman. What he's talking here about is the inner qualities. You see, most men begin on the outside and don't consider the inside. What what she's saying to her son is, son, look at the inside before you look at the outside. So this is the character qualities of excellence, a noble character. The first one comes up is that of trustworthy. Her husband has his full, full confidence in her. He lacks nothing of value. This woman is trustworthy. Remember how we talked about how trust is intrinsic to friendship? Well, trust is essential to every marriage. Trust is something that is earned over time. Without trust, a relationship cannot survive. We tend to talk a lot about love and intimacy, which make a relationship great. But unless there is trust, unless you can trust the person, there is no strength to the relationship. You see, a relationship is like a house. It is built on the foundation of trust. When the trust is strong, no matter how many difficulties you have to face, the marriage can survive. You see, Debbie will often ask me a question. She'll say, R, why do you love me? And my answer always to her is, because you are faithful. Because you are faithful. I love the fact that she is trustworthy. I don't have any questions about her character. Most often this is taken to be in the area of sexual fidelity, that, he, that she is trustworthy, that she is faithful to her vows. You see, sex is like a fire. Fire contained gives warmth. Fire contained in a fireplace gives warmth to the people in the home. I was in a home this last week where they had a lovely fireplace and a wooden floor and two lab dogs that laid there um, looking for love. But fire that is uncontained burns down the forest, you see. We are watching now in California at least five wildfires that are uncontained, and we see the devastation in California. Sex in marriage, sex within marriage is contained within a covenantal relationship where there is warmth and intimacy. Sex outside of marriage, uncontained, will ultimately destroy the people participating in it. You see, the person who now has this trust, trust that she always has my best interest in mind, that she's always faithful. And what it does is it creates an attitude of freedom. This woman becomes who she is because she's trusted. And he has confidence in her. Now, if Debbie and I are traveling, we'll be traveling this afternoon. One thing is for sure. If I ask her for directions or where we are, she always knows where we are. I have never known Debbie in her entire life to be lost. I have no sense of direction. 
I never know where I am. So if I come to an intersection and I have a choice to make, do I go right or left? I think I should go right. If I go left, I'm more often right if I go the wrong, the other way. But Debbie, on the other hand, just knows where she is intuitively. She has this built-in GPS, kind of this compass, knowing north and south and east and west. I'm helped by a lot of rivers and mountains and sunsets and oceans, stuff like that. That helps me a lot. But for her, she just kind of knows. When I get into clover leaves, it's really bad. So anyway, trustworthy. The first character quality of the woman is that she is trustworthy. Then we come to goodness. A wife who brings her husband good all the days of her life. I love this one. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. She is a good woman because she does her husband good all the days of her life. You ever met a foul-mouthed woman? Just, just foul stuff comes out of her mouth, like she can cuss for 20 minutes without repeating herself. Nothing good ever comes out of her mouth. Well, a good woman loves what is good. What comes out of her is goodness, right? She thinks about how to bless her man. She's not thinking of herself as much as she's thinking about the well-being of her family. She serves up good food, right? She loves to be part of good conversations. She likes to drink good tea <laughs> or good coffee. She's into good health practices. She likes to make good oatmeal, oatmeal raisin cookies. You see, she's good. What's happened to her is she's heard the gospel which is the goodness of God, that God came down to earth to become one of us, and he made the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. When we weren't good, he was good to us, and she received this goodness into her life, and now the goodness flows to her. You see, a good wife is a good gift from God. God knew it was not good to be alone, so God made the woman for the man and she now is the COO of the family, the chief operating officer. Out of her goodness, he may make most of the living, but she definitely makes the living worthwhile because of her goodness. You know, if you're going to be a friend, be a good friend. And if you're going to be a physician, be a good physician. And if you're going to be a teacher, be a good teacher. If you're going to be a wife, be a good wife. Goodness. She brings him good all the days of her life. And number four, industrious. There's, we pick up the language here in chapter 31 and verse 13. I'm going to work with you through on this. But look at this amazing woman. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. Back in those days... They had to make their own clothes, right? Have you ever seen anybody with um, a spindle and a distaff? There's flax, there's wool, and she kind of winds this up with her spindle making the yarn, and then she makes her own garments. She's industrious. She's a hard worker. You see, she's, she works with eager hands. This is speaking to the wife's diligence and vigilance. 
It doesn't say that she has to be overjoyed with all of her tests, but she tackles things willingly. She does things with a good attitude. Are you willing to work hard? One of the questions I ask couples when they're about to get married is, are you willing to work hard at your marriage? See, because if you'll put yourself 100% into it, marriage will work 100% of the time if you put your whole self into it, you see. The virtuous woman has an industrious spirit. She doesn't slough off. She's not in the habit of taking, you know, sleeping in. She works hard. You ever notice that Starbucks or at McDonald's, they find the one who can produce the most? Like the barista is kind of into production, or the person who's sort of in assembly at McDonald's or working the drive-thru, it's a person who loves the task of being industrious. The, the Proverbs would teach us that the plans of the diligent lead to profit. So this industrious woman, what happens is that she receives favor from the Lord because of her industry. She selects this woolen flax and she works with eager hands. She has a good attitude about her tasks. She knows what has to be done and she tackles the projects. You see, having a good attitude is often very important to our motivation. And then verse 14, she selects wool, and, I'm sorry, she is like a merchant ship bringing her food from afar. Merchant ships were like high-risk ventures. They brought cargo from faraway places, bringing food that was not common to the area. You see, this woman, she serves healthy and nutritious food to her family. She makes sure her family eats well. She may go to Aldi's to find good deals, or she may go to Wegmans to find the better produce, but she's all about making sure her family has good things to eat. Verse 15, she gets up while it's still dark. She's industrious. She doesn't make it her habit to sleep in. She's getting up early. Why? To provide food for her family and portions for her uh, servant girls. Now, it's really easy here to get sort of caught up in this list, right? And start to start measuring ourselves by this woman and feeling like I'm just not as good as she is. Remember, we're talking here about the character quality of being industrious, that she is a hard worker, that she is diligent, that she is vigilant. Verse number 16. She considers a field and she buys it. She's an entrepreneur, right? She studies the productivity of a field. She sees whether the yield of the field is average or below average or above average, whether it's too wet. And she saves up her money and she doesn't go into debt to buy the field. Have you noticed, have you noticed how many vineyards and wineries there are now in Northern Virginia and Maryland. If you drive from here to Dulles Airport, about every three or four miles, you'll see a sign for a vineyard or a winery. They're calling now this area the new Napa Valley. I just wonder if this woman would be in on some of this action. 
Because what she's doing is she's saving up her money and making wise investments. You see, what the Scripture will teach us is that whenever you go into debt, you enter into risk. And the borrower is always a slave to the lender. And those that have borrowed too much, leveraged too much, will ultimately pay the penalty. And what you find here in this woman is that she's saving up her money and making wise investments. You know, Debbie, when I met her, she was a teacher making $10,000 a year, and she was saving $3,000 every year. You say, how did she do it? Well, she lived very cheaply. And when we went to graduate school, she had $6,000 in saving in order to pay for her graduate studies. See, it's possible, you all, if we're disciplined, to not spend everything we have or spend more than we have, but actually to save up toward something. She's industrious. And then she's generous. Look at verse number 20. It says about her that she opens her arms to the poor and she extends her hands to the needy. Often we think about the poor extending their hands to us. But she's a woman with a heart. She empathizes with the poor. She imagines herself to be in their position. What you have now in America are a lot of working poor who can't afford health insurance, who can't afford housing, can't afford food. So what she does is she sees the disenfranchised, those living at the margins. And there's a difference between not being able to work and not being willing to work. You see, what she feels empathy toward is toward the disabled veteran who has served our country but now can't work. She feels empathy toward the elderly that can't take care of themselves. You see, when we give to the Lord, it says, when we give to the poor, we lend to the Lord, and a generous person will be blessed. Jesus said, when did you see me hungry? And when did you see me thirsty? And when did you see me naked? And the answer will be, when you did it to the least of these. And Jesus says you can be generous anytime you want. And one of the characteristics of this woman is her enormous generosity, that she extends her hands to the poor. She opens her heart up to those without. And then she is organized. We talked about that earlier, about providing for a family, supervising those underneath her. But I want to come now to the conclusion of this psalm, conclusion of our series, and look with me at verse 26, 25 and following. She is clothed with strength and with dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come because she's planned ahead. She speaks with wisdom. You see, she's skilled in rightful living. She's grabbed part of heaven and began to apply it to earth. You see, a person who is wise knows God and God's perspective and knows life and knows how to connect the two. When she opens her mouth, it's worth listening to because she speaks with wisdom. Wisdom flows out of her. And she uh, has faithful instruction on her tongue. She's kind. And she watches over the affairs of her household. And she may eat a lot of different kinds of bread, 
you know, healthy, nutritious bread. But there's one kind of bread she won't eat. She does not eat, you see it, the bread of idleness. And her children arise and call her blessed. And her husband also, and he praises her. You know, America may run on Duncan, but a woman runs on praise and affirmation. And just in case you need sort of a cheat sheet, he's going to show us how he praises his wife. Her husband praises her and says, Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Just a word for you husbands. I don't know if you're into blondes or brunettes or redheads or grayheads, but whatever your wife is, that's what you're into. True? Yes. So you're into that, whatever that is. Okay. Many women have done noble things, he says, but you surpass them all. I don't know how I would live without you. I don't know how I would survive without you. You surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What if your wife's praise were equal to her making good meals for you? If you were to liken how often she cooks for you for how often you praise her, would it be that you're starving to death because you're failing to praise her? If your praise of her were equal to being clothed, would you be now a naked man? You see, this guy knows he has a jewel. He has a gem. He has something very rare. He has a beautiful ruby. And so what he does is he praises her. He pours out his compliments to her. He says, many women have done nobly, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord, a woman who has a relationship with Jesus, a woman who worships and follows Jesus, a woman who serves Jesus, a woman who knows that she's ultimately accountable to Jesus. That's the woman who fears the Lord, who's worthy of praise. What God has done is he's left for us a record of eight different, at least eight different qualities that will work for men and for women. Nobility of spirit, a person of strength and excellence and virtue, being trustworthy, high confidence in their character, goodness, continually doing good things for the other, industrious, working with diligence, generous, opening one's heart to the poor, organized, attending to the needs of the household, wisdom, knowing God and connecting God's wisdom to life, and kindness, she speaks with kindness. How'd I do? Proverbs 31. Thus ends... Thus, <laughs> thus ends our series on Proverbs. But once again, we invite you to pray with us. Father, we have sat now for several weeks gleaning the wisdom of this enormous book, of the wisdom you imparted to Solomon, a king, 
who made lots and lots of mistakes, and we make lots of mistakes ourselves. And we tend to look at this long list of character qualities and see how we fall short. But could they inspire us, Lord, to another level? Could we see that which is pleasing in your sight and begin to move in that direction? Perhaps this day, Lord, we've, cared, we've carried something in our hearts into this place. We realize that you are a faithful God and you are faithful from generation to generation. And you're a God who hears our prayers. So we come before you, Lord. We remember that you are a faithful God and you call us to faithfulness. Would you teach us to faithfully pray for one another and faithfully lay our requests at your feet, believing that you're able to help us and come alongside? God, would you sanctify this moment as we remember your great faithfulness? And we ask it in Jesus' name.